And this morning we're turning to that familiar prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And some of you will say, well, well wait a minute now. It's the, Jesus didn't call it the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. And that is true. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. How is it that uh, mere mortals like us can come into the presence of the immortal, into the presence of a holy God? That's what prayer is, right? It's to come into the welcome presence of God. And in this Lord's Prayer, as it's often often called in Matthew 6, uh, beginning with verse 9, um, God in his kindness tells his disciples um, the kinds of prayers the Father delights to answer. It's a protocol for prayer. And what do I mean by that? I mean that the Lord's Prayer, let's just call it that. It's a colloquial uh, a description of it. Um, it's not a mantra. Don't think that. It's not a, um, something that is just done ritualistically, mechanically, reciting these precise words. It's a model prayer that informs all of our approaches to God. To pray rightly is to approach God personally. To pray rightly is to approach heaven's throne and meet with the God of the universe, the one who reigns over all things, who has sovereign control over the very things we bring to him as needs. And we come to him not as interlopers, not as unwanted guests, but as welcomed children approaching their father. God, for his children, is our father in heaven. The Lord's Prayer is not unlike a coloring book, and here's what I mean. It gives a clear outline for prayer, and yet God's children color it in with whatever is on their hearts. Yet they take care to stay within the boundaries of God's outline for prayer. Our children this morning have um, a coloring sheet where they have an outline of the word prayer. And kids, you just you color that in however your heart desires. But try as you're able to color within the boundaries. And we, you know, children of all ages here, will seek to discover these boundaries for our benefit in this Lord's Prayer. Let's just look at it now. You've had plenty of time to look it up, haven't you? Matthew 6 and verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
With God's help, we're just going to look at the first part of this uh, model prayer this morning. And the, the, the first thing that we notice is that um, it begins with God. Prayer, says Jesus, our King, begins with God. God is first in prayer. Matthew, in his gospel, is presenting to us Christ as God's anointed one, God's anointed king. In the Sermon on the Mount, as you know, King Jesus is uh, instructing his people, kingdom people, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, in in our manner of living as kingdom citizens. And among our manner of living... There are religious things, if you will, that God's people do, including prayer. And King Jesus has already, here in Matthew 6, cautioned his people against a certain kind of approach to prayer. Remember, he, do you remember this? Jesus cautions us against showmanship, like the Pharisees, praying just to be seen by other people using words that just are, are, are aimed at impressing other people, or maybe even just to sort of feel religious ourselves, right? That's a form of self-worship. Don't be like that, Jesus has said. Uh, don't be involved in this kind of showmanship, and, and don't be involved in the superstition of the heathen, the Gentiles, who, whose pagan incantations to their imaginary gods were as pointless as you and I just sort of talking to the ceiling. That would be, um, I think the theological term is stupid. And, and pointless, right? Absolutely pointless. And an offense to God. So if I'm to avoid showmanship, I, I'm to avoid superstition in prayer... How then do I pray? Well, I I begin by remembering who it is I'm praying to. In this manner, says verse 9, Therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The king assumes that his people pray. Remember that? It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. When you pray, pray like this. Do it this way, not the way of the showman or the superstitious. Pray this way in this manner, our Father in heaven. Through the work of Christ, on your behalf, on my behalf, Yahweh, the the God who makes a covenant with his people, invites you to come into his presence and call him Father. Father. The Greek word is uh, uh, pater. It simply means the head of the family. Now that is so simple. You're saying, well, why explain it? Because I don't want us to miss the warm and wonderful reality of this. We have been brought into this kingdom that Jesus says is the family of God. God has a family. And you who are in Christ have a seat at the table. You belong to the Father. And he's as pleased with you as he is pleased with his Son. To belong to the kingdom of heaven then is to belong to the family of the living God. 
Now, I would submit that changes the way you look at all of life. Just knowing who God is and who you are in Christ. I would submit that that informs what you even ask God for, as we'll see. You have been elevated, Christian, through the work of Christ into this special relationship with God. You you no longer dread him as your judge. Do you realize sin will be judged? Do you realize sinners will be judged? That's a better way to put it. Sin isn't just floating around in the atmosphere. It's in people. Sinners will be judged. Praise God. My sin has already been judged in Christ. Praise God. Your sin has already been judged in Christ. And he's pleased with you, is the Father, as he is pleased with his Son. This is the scandal of the gospel. And what a wonder it is. And you can go elsewhere in Scripture to get a sense of the intimacy of this relationship. I'll just give you one example. Romans eight fifteen and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are not God's children by nature. Now there is a sense in a a, um, um, very generic and general sense that God is Father of all. That's not the fatherhood of God that Jesus is speaking of here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about those who have been adopted into the family. Those who know the king, Jesus. And a little child might well call her father daddy, or as in my son's case, anybody at the grocery store. Um, but, but we want to be careful as, as, as we mature in Christ to not take that idea of calling the father daddy too far, uh, especially in a casual culture like ours. Let me just put it this way. God is not your buddy. God is not your pal. God is not your co-pilot. Turns out he's the pilot, and he's the plane, and he's the air it's in. The word Abba is simply an Aramaic equivalent of the Greek word that is translated father, okay? the, The point is, it's familial. That's the wonder of it. Not that it's it's casual or common. And how do we know this? Well, we know this because of the words that follow. Don't don't take it from me. Look at your Bibles. Our Father in heaven. (laughs) How many of you know that is not a statement about the location of God? God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. All the time, in his fullness, God is here, not just over there. 
To call God our Father then speaks of his loving nearness. There's that familial relationship that we have through the work of Christ. He is willing as a father to hear the praises and the petitions of his children. And to call God our Father in heaven speaks of his otherness. He is infinite in power. He is completely sovereign. His wisdom, His glory, His majesty, our Father is completely unlike us in those ways. Yet we as His image bearers have been created to reflect His communicable attributes, right? There are some attributes of God that that men and women are created to reflect. And that reflection is being restored in the believer through the power of the Spirit. And so here is a reminder that though we come to God as Father, Abba, Daddy, if you will, our Father is the Supreme One. There there is no higher authority than that of our Father. And He is directing all things according to His good pleasure and according to His wise purposes. That means you are not here by accident today. You say, well, I, I take exception to that. I, I planned to be here. I, I drove in, in a car here. Somebody forced me to come here, whatever. It, it would have been awkward to, 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 to not come here, whatever. I'm just saying higher up in the bleachers, you're here because God put you here. I mentioned last uh, week in the pastor, Graham, when we come to God as Father, we're, we, we come to Him aware of His great love for us. We don't, we don't come to God as beggars come to some disinterested party, you know, just hoping against hope that there will be care, that there will be compassion, that, that, that will, there will be a listening ear. No, we come to God as His children knowing that He's good, knowing that He's predisposed, to favor his children. So God's children don't come to him hesitantly. They don't come to him timidly. We come to him confidently. Amen? Amen. We're meant to pray this way. Familial? Yes. Reverently? Of course. Of course. When we come to our Father in heaven, we're made aware that he is the supreme one who reigns over all things. He's already governing the stuff I'm bringing to him. How many of you know when I pray, God does not need information. Lord, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, in case you were busy, you know. No. All earthly thrones, all earthly kings, all governments and powers on planet earth throughout all of history had a limit to their influence and ability. God has none. The Puritan Thomas Manton says, Our Father hath a more universal and unlimited empire than all the kings of the earth, so he hath a more glorious throne. And we're meant to come to the Father with this in mind. God's children don't come to him flippantly or casually, but reverently. So, like what? Like a child respects her father. 
like a son respects his father. William Hendrickson, in his, his commentary on Matthew, he, he also suggests that the words in heaven remind Christians, I love this, remind Christians that we are pilgrims. We haven't reached our final destination yet. So those of you who moved here from out of state, who are in Christ, this ain't your last move, right? Um, We desire to be with our Father, and our Father desires for us to be with Him. And and He's made that glorious future possible through the work of Christ, through the work of His Son for us. Think of this. There's a day coming coming when we will no longer pray our Father in heaven because the Father's heaven will have come to us. And, And we will have been made heavenly, if you will, as our elder brother Jesus. Do you ever think about these things? We're meant to. We're meant to be homesick in that sense. You still with me? So let's just stop here and think a minute. Um, And we're nowhere near being done, so I don't mean it that way. Um, So far in this prayer, we haven't asked for anything. We've simply addressed God rightly, our Father in heaven. And again, the words are not the point. The heart is the point. The disposition of the heart of God's child is the point. We've come into his presence in prayer the right way, with childlike confidence and reverence. And that is, as it turns out, prayer's protocol. In this manner, pray, says Jesus. God's people come to him in childlike confidence, childlike reverence. In this manner, pray. Now we're communing with God as he is. Now we're communing with God as we are. No pretending, no mindless incantations. No using words that we don't know what they mean and nobody knows what they mean because we're using words from 300 years ago. No need to do that. God is your father and he loves you and he knows your heart. No more coming to God with sentimental phrases, religious sounding words. Coming to God that way is not really speaking to God. And he's not really hearing us in a covenantal sense. I'm humanizing this, but is there ever a time when, like a parent might say to a child, could we just talk? Can, Can you just be you? In this manner, says Jesus, pray. Deal with God our Father as he truly is. Come to him as you truly are. And then there are six requests in verses 9 through 13. I counted them. Um, We're just going to look at the first half, okay? The first three are to do with God. The second three, you've heard this before, many of you, uh, deal with us, with myself and, and others. In other words, in prayer, God's priorities come first. In prayer, 
God's priorities come first. When I put God's priorities first in prayer, my priorities in prayer are brought into alignment with His. Does that make sense? So verse 9, hallowed be your name. It's not just a nice saying. Though that is a nice saying. We better know what it means though, don't you think? Hallowed be your name. It's a request. It's the first request. It's a desire for God's glory. It's a, it's a desire for God's honor. And that desire becomes the soil from which all of my other requests grow up. There are certain things now I will not pray because they do not bring glory to God. They, they, they do not honor God. The word hallowed is, is archaic, isn't it? I haven't Outside of the Lord's Prayer, I haven't had any... When you use that word in casual conversation recently, it simply means holy. It means set apart. It means sanctified, sacred. And again, if you remember from, from what was mentioned before communion, God's name represents all that he is. God's name represents all that he does. Psalm 8.1 says, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. In his name, God reveals the wonder of who he is. God's name reveals his character, what he does. Proverbs 18.10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. This is, your, this is your father. Joel 2.32 It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember, God's name proclaims what he does. He rescues his people. He redeems his people, saves his people. So his very name proclaims the significance of this. Our Father is Elion, the, the Most High God. He's, he's Adonai, Lord, Master. Our Father is Jehovah Jireh, the, the Lord who provides. He, he is Jehovah Tzitkenu, the, the Lord our righteousness. Aren't you glad for this? Listen, before Jesus went to the cross for you, he said this to the Father, I have manifested your name. What, a, what an astounding declaration that is. Jesus came to reveal God to sinful man. He is God and clothed in humanity. God is revealed in his name. That's why Matthew has already told us in his gospel, in chapter 1, um, the angel said to Joseph, what? Call his name Jesus. Call his name Jehovah saves. My point is simply this. You cannot hallow the Father's name without hallowing the Son. 
We remembered that at communion, didn't we? That is why it is at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That is why there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God's righteousness provided for us. And let let me just suggest to you, you're still listening. What what would it mean then in um, a daily sense, an an everyday sense, to, to then pray to... God our Father in heaven in a way that that hallows his name. What would that be like? Um, God, please work today in me, in this church, in this community, in such a way that your excellence is known. God, work among us so that your perfections are made known wherever we go in Kootenai County. Everywhere we go, there's a sense of who God is, what he's like. Father, may your name never be seen as one of many options on a shelf-labeled religion. You alone are worthy. You, You are the one true God. You are high above all else. May you be recognized for who you really are, cherished for what you do. That's his name. Hallowed be your name. Father, may your great salvation be known as my coworkers and my family members and that crazy, irritating neighbor of mine. Lord, my, my government leaders, my, my fellow churchgoers, may your name be hallowed as they come to faith in Christ. <clears throat> Do you realize you cannot ask that God's name be hallowed without considering your own life? Do you realize that is one of the purposes of this model prayer? It's not, it's not just a, a guideline, an outline of how to pray. It's a, it's a guideline, an outline of how to live. What, what ought our priorities be? Am I living what I just prayed? In other words, does my life hallow the name of God? D- d- does, does my life observed by others suggest in any way that I belong to the God and know him as Father, the God who is above all. I mean, let's, do you mind if we put meat and skin on the bones here for just a minute? I mean, if, if, if you're sleeping around, young people... If, if, if you're shacking up with somebody you're not married to, that does it make any sense to pray, Father, hallowed be your name? If, if you're already planning to cheat on your taxes this year because the government's been stealing from you all last year. Would it really make sense to say, Father, 
Hallowed be your name. May your name be set, set apart by all. You're dishonoring your parents. You're hating your enemies. There's always the danger of this stuff being practical and personal. Sinclair Ferguson says there's a, there's a symbiotic relationship between prayer and life. Let me just quote from him. He says, it's not really possible to pray like this without beginning to live like this. Because as we pray, God's priorities first. The Spirit of God begins to work in us so that we begin to look at our own priorities and our own daily choices through the lens of what we've just asked. Still in verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's, that's prayer's protocol. Pray with a reverent, worshipful heart that reflects a reverent, worshipful, worshipful life. And then verse 10, and we'll, we'll, we'll end with verse 10, so don't be troubled. Um, your kingdom come. This is the, the, the second God word petition, right? God's, God's priorities first. Hallowed be your name, and now your kingdom come. Remember, God's kingdom, Jesus has said, is what? It's God's rule uh, over all things. Jesus is God's anointed king. Matthew's gospel is all about that. And and he's bringing the kingdom of heaven, the the rule of the king, to this earth. And, And there's a sense in which... Remember, Jesus says the kingdom has already come. The kingdom is is here. In fact, the invitation to the kingdom is what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, And the kingdom is coming yet still through the progress of the gospel in the world today. Your kingdom come. And one day the kingdom will come finally and visibly and universally when Christ the King returns. And all of that is encompassed in this wonderful phrase, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come is a a missional prayer, really. It's a kingdom prayer. Prayer calls God's children to a kingdom mindset. Not not just a self-centered mindset, a kingdom mindset. This is the prayer of of the church militant, right? Not the church dormant. The the church complacent. The the church utterly self-focused. Your kingdom come. And and again, let's just try to put... Uh, meat and skin on the bones here. Father, may your gospel advance. May, may your rule extend on this earth. Our nation is wicked. Amen? Amen? Father, bring your kingdom's righteousness to our land. My workplace, actually mine isn't, but... Um, <laughs> You know, I read this stuff ahead of time, and it still doesn't always work out. But, I mean, let, let, seriously, let, let's just say you have a, the most godless workplace imaginable. Again, I don't. Father, may your rule get a foothold in the hearts of my coworkers. 
You see how that's different from just praying, Lord, help me not have to deal with that guy today. Lord, may he be hit by a bus, you know. That, that's, not, that's not a kingdom prayer. We want the kingdom to be extended in the hearts of sinful people because they turn to Christ. Your kingdom come. My library is buying books and offering to children the most disgusting, immoral things a person could imagine. Family-destroying things. Father, exert your righteous influence in that place. Your kingdom come. Let me, let me ask you something. Has there been a work of grace in your life so that you are increasingly surrendering this preoccupation with your own kingdom to a preoccupation with the kingdom of God? Is that happening in you? It's meant to. In salvation, you are displaced from the throne of your own heart so that its rightful ruler might be enthroned. In sanctification, the kingdom of self that we all know well is increasingly yielded to the kingship of Jesus. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Do you see how this model prayer, still listening, see how this model prayer um, is like that coloring book outlined I mentioned earlier? I mean, it, it goes where the heart is moved by the Spirit and, and yet stays within the boundaries of God's own priorities in prayer. This, this is how we're meant to come to God as children who might call Him Father. And finally, still in verse 10, we'll end with this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By whom? By his image bearers. That's us. And you know, the Bible actually describes God's will in a couple different ways. There, there is God's secret will, uh, God's providential will, um, that which he ordains that is just going to happen. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just spitballing here, but I'm thinking none of us woke up this morning and prayed, Lord, please let the sun come up. Please, he has told us in his word, that's going to continue until the end of the age. He's got that. God's revealed will, though, is how he instructs us as his image bearers to live. This is God's revealed will. The word of God is his revealed will. You, you, you don't need to go through life one. I just wish God would tell me what to do. He's told you what to do. If it helps, read it out loud. I don't mean that flippantly. Because we live in a world that says, you know, um, you really need to live by your feelings. You need to just do what feels right. I, just, I got a feeling this is going to work out. You really need to live by your emotions. Emotions are good. We're created to have emotions. They're horrible compasses. 
We live in a world that says, you know what you really need to do is you need to get yourself in some state of mind where you're getting dreams and visions and you can take this thing and you can take that thing and see this stuff. And you need to not ever do that because the scripture is the revealed will of God. So when we say, your will be done, our prayer is that we, let alone those around us in the world, would be living according to the revealed will of God. To pray God's will be done on earth is to desire his will be done in my own life. Do you see how this prayer, God's priorities first, but do you see how this prayer then shapes what I would even bring to God in terms of my own needs? The kingdom in its fullness, is a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of glad obedience to the revealed will of God. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying that we, you know, ourselves, uh, uh, people in our community, will submit to the revealed will of God. Do you realize God delights to answer that prayer? He calls all people everywhere to obey him. Prayer calls God's children to a servant mindset, a desire and a commitment to obedience. Think of it this way. What's happening right now? We desire would be happening. What's happening right now in heaven, we're meant to desire would be happening here on earth. What's happening now in heaven? God is loved and obeyed with gladness as he ought to be. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayers protocol. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, This protocol, this model, is a heart disposition. This isn't a set of magic words that we're to recite with with perfect accuracy. It's descriptive of, of the heart that Jesus has already called the secret place, where your Father sees in secret. All right, that's it. Let's let's pray. Father, we are so in awe of you that you would condescend to not just leave the door open a crack for us to peek in, but you've 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 taken the door down. And you've welcomed us into your presence with open arms that will never let go of us. You give us not only the privilege of prayer, communion with you, but you even tell us what to ask for and how to do it. How kind you are, Father. And we thank you. We pray that you would 
call to our remembrance these words. I pray that we would meditate on these words, your words, that we might be mindful of how we come into your presence, children that we are, so prone to ask wrongly. Lord, we don't want to do that. And we thank you that you've shown us the way and you've given us the way through the work of our Savior Jesus. And it's in his name that we...